0: Good morning. It's good to be here with you all again. Hope we are um, ready to hopefully hear the message that God has sent to us this morning. If we can, we're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We had finished going through the book of Galatians talking about what we had titled our Radical Grace series, and we had looked in the book of Galatians how... Radical grace had changed us, and in particular, he was Paul in the book of Galatians was speaking to the Gentiles there, and he was addressing how uniquely and beautifully they had been changed in the absence of, you know, the the trappings, if you could say, as they were looked at in the book of Galatians, of the Jewish kind of religious tradition that had existed um, for the apostles in particular. For the early church, the beginning of the church, um, coming out of Jerusalem, coming out of a predominantly Jewish origin, you had the church at Galatia, which was not that way. It came out of a predominantly Gentile origin, and Paul's whole argument was, look at how through simply just faith and belief and the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit, you have been changed, and, and here you are, and now you're trying to get back into these kind of trappings of religion and tradition, and you're going to get bogged down with that. And ultimately, if you put your hope in that, you're going to get very, very disappointed. And so we talked about how radical grace had shown to the church at Galatia how much it had affected them, changed them, blessed them. They had all spiritual blessings. They had um, received the Holy Spirit. They had seen miracles done in their presence. All these things that the radical grace of God had done for them in the absence of judaism okay and so when we closed we talked about how we might go through the writings of the apostle paul at least some of the letters that he wrote to the churches because as i have read through them a couple of times now in in preparing for this they they all kind of hit at the same point on the same topic but from a different direction and for a different purpose um the book of ephesians or the letter, the uh, the epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Again, these are all churches that he was uh, very much tied to, very much involved in. He was their kind of founding minister in many ways. Um, he was, you know, had a love for them and a heart for them to see them grow in, in peace and freedom and just enjoyment of the um, grace of God. And so all these things that he's writing to them, you see, bore out in The letter to the Galatian church, and the letter to the Ephesian church, the letter to the Colossian church, and there's some very recurring themes that come up, but they all kind of center around um, this beautiful simplicity in Christ, um, this freedom that is in Christ, uh, and really centers around Christ, which uh, is kind of what the whole point was. And so the, the book of Ephesians, the letter written by Paul to the church at Ephesus, is remarkable in many ways. Um, obviously, just like in the book of Galatians, there's, there's chapters, there's verses, there's places we like to go to, and we like to draw out um, principles and, and things that we're, we're preaching on, topics we're covering Um, Obviously, those are good and right, but I think as, and I don't know, y'all may have gotten zero benefit from it, but I know that as I have read through the book of Galatians and others just in, in several years, you know, getting the context of what it was written for just, it opens up a whole new kind of perspective on it, okay? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we, again, can take those out, and you can use those kind of Um, outside of the context of what it was written for but when you put it in the context of how he is speaking of the changing grace and how it affects you and how it really is affecting you to be in one and to avoid backbiting and destroying one another that those fruit take on a new life a new meaning as to why Paul was writing them Um, so I mean it's it's just it's remarkable when you go through it in that way the same thing with the with the book of Ephesians you know there's so many key principles that you can draw out of the book of ephesians the problem is is that sometimes we have a bad habit of just drawing out those key principles and missing why paul wrote them okay Um, as i've said about the roman letter you know in the ephesian letter paul was not trying to make a point about predestinarian salvation okay um his argument from the book of ephesians was not that you had a group of people who were teaching arminianism which by the way wasn't in existence at this point but that were teaching arminius's teachings in the ephesian church and that's why he did a diatribe about predestination that's not why he wrote this okay Um, It actually has a much greater and much more beautiful point behind it than just a theological debate, Okay, which is what I've always said about the book of Romans too. Romans 8 was not written because there was an argument between Calvin and Arminian about how salvation was achieved. Um, Romans 8 was written to give hope to a bunch of people who were bogged down in their sins and felt like they couldn't escape to tell them, god's taking care of it all and you're more than conquerors okay that's the point of romans 8 all right the point of ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 and really the whole book is not hey by the way did you know god chose you before the foundation of the world that way you didn't do anything for your salvation it actually has a much bigger broader and much more beautiful picture than that okay so the, the point behind the book of Ephesians, again, as he's writing to these churches, capture the fact that these churches were predominantly Gentile, and he's trying to encourage, enliven, embolden, and really to bring the Gentiles into their understanding that they're a part of this bigger thing. OK, they're latecomers to this thing in the perspective of God's kind of choosing of a people and Israel and this whole history that's going on. And, you know, you got all these books written and you got these guys talked about from Abraham to Moses to David and all this history. And here the Gentiles come in and it's like we're not really connected to all that. We're Gentiles. In fact, we were very purposefully not included in all that, um, as your books told us. But anyway, so, you know, you were kind of left out of this greater picture of Israel and you, you know, you kind of like if you've ever been that kid who came in at middle school to a new school and you have all these other kids who've kind of grown up from first grade to sixth grade and you come into the new school and you're kind of like, I don't fit with these groups because they have this history for the last six grades that I don't have. And so you kind of come into it and it's awkward and you try to find your place and where you can fit in and sometimes it works out great and sometimes it ends up being like a movie about something. But anyway, all that being said, it's hard sometimes when you move into a high school, move into a college, you've got people who've kind of grown up together their entire lives. They have history. They have this whole life before you. And then you come into it and you're trying to figure out how you can fit into this and they have inside jokes you don't know about and inside history that you weren't a part of. That's how I kind of think about it when I'm looking at that in my own weird kind of way. Um, this is how I kind of think about it that you have the Gentiles coming in. There's this whole history, this whole like Jewish thing that's been going on, and Christ came as a Jew and he established the church. With a bunch of Jews, and it was a bunch of Jews that started all this, and all the apostles are Jews, and I mean, you just had this whole Jewish lineage coming out, and we kind of spoke about this um, back as we were closing out the, the, the book of Galatians about providing for ministers and providing for the ministry, and we talked about how the church in Macedonia and the churches of Asia, they kind of had this burden that they felt obligated to support the church at Jerusalem when it was going through a hard time because as they viewed it they had benefited so much from the spiritual things that started in Jerusalem that they said well we obviously are obligated to provide for them with material things why would we not look at the greater thing we have been blessed with from Jerusalem so they had kind of pointed out that the Gentiles had this view of the church at Jerusalem and kind of the Jewish origins of the church it's kind of a thing. It's something that they recognize. They recognize that they had not been a part of it for all the past, you know, centuries that Israel and all these things had kind of come about, okay? So you had this position where the Gentiles were coming into it, and the Gentiles were feeling a little bit like the new kid at the new high school, okay? And they also didn't know how they could fit in with these old school promises and prophecies that had been being made. The Jews, like Paul, can kind of pick up and just make a seamless transition. The Gentiles are like, man, we got to go back and like read 2 Samuel to figure out how this all ties together, okay? So Paul in the church at the church at Galatia had made the point, no, see, you by faith, ex- ex- outside of the Jewish tradition, you by faith. Are tied actually back to Abraham. Okay? Same faith Abraham's had, same faith you had, even though you didn't have all the natural or even the kind of religious traditions of Israel, you're still, you're tied in there because it actually was through faith and not just through natural birth. And so he had already been kind of bringing them in, going, no, you're part of the promises. That promise that you're going to read about that, you know, that Abraham received back in Genesis 12 and 17, those promises, that actually was about you Gentiles too. Through faith, okay? So he kind of is already steering the ship, steering the Gentiles towards this long history that had existed, and he's trying to bring them into this kind of glorious truth that's been going on ever since Genesis 1, and as he kind of opens up here, actually, before Genesis 1. So he's bringing that message to these Gentiles, and you're going to see that he'll kind of address them specifically, and he'll talk about them versus us. And when he's talking about that, he's speaking kind of in a Jewish versus Gentile history thing going on. He will also address you know, some, some very specific things about the Gentiles and encouraging them how they're a part of this. You know, we're all a part of this. We all have a history, and that history actually predates dates okay Um, so it's pretty fantastic so the context that we have here is we kind of overview the whole book chapter one we kind of get the answer to where we all came from chapter two we get the answer to how we all got here Um, and that's all God's children and also Gentiles with the Jews chapter three we look at the mystery that is the union of the body of Jews and Gentiles and all the chosen chapter four we get into the diversity with the unity okay people don't think that's a thing but it actually is um and chapter five we talk about our new life new life as individuals new life as husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and that rolls into chapter six that talks about new lives as children and then it also ends with the warfare that we all face in this new life okay so if you the, the context that we get at, there was a, a commentary that I read that had a really good, succinct kind of point that I thought was really good. He says, the book hints at several purposes. The apostle taught that Jewish and Gentile believers are one in Christ and that this oneness was to be demonstrated by their love for one another. Paul used the noun or verb form of the love word agape, 19 times, which is about one-sixth of the total uses in all of the Pauline letters. And Ephesians begins with love in chapter 1, and it ends with love in chapter 6. So that's a, a kind of a, a good overview of what this chapter is looking at. We're looking at the unity that was between Jews and Gentiles. It should be between Jews and Gentiles. That was also addressed in Galatians, okay? We saw Paul have to call out Peter because of his racism in that situation. So we have this, again, this theme of like we're still this this and them and us and they and we, and we have history, you're new, you know, all these things that are tying in. And Paul, again, is trying to bring us all together. And the book of Ephesians does that in a beautiful way. It begins and ends with love. The love that it starts with is this cosmic, eternal ever-present, always-been kind of love that then permeates to us and everything that He has done for us. So there's just, there's so much in this book that points us in the direction that we need to be, and I feel that it is a extremely important letter for us to address in today's time, just as we talked about through the book of Matthew, just as we have talked about with the book of Galatians. I think the book of Ephesians pointing to the purpose of unity of the body and what we are as believers and as a body of Christ is so important for us. So it talks about how just in the Galatian letter, how faith is kind of this unifying thing between us all. That in the book of Galatians, we saw how it was Jesus Christ and the cross, okay, that was our means of justification through faith delivered to us. And we see here the same thing our salvation and choice and sovereignty in Christ in God that is delivered through faith that saves us in the rebirth and that the same faith is what unites Jews, Gentiles, everyone. So we'll dive in in the t- chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians It starts and says, "...Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints that are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ." in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things In Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, having predestinated according to the purpose of Him who works all things after the counsel of His own will, (coughs) that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. "...wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints, have ceased not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come." and has put all things under his feet and gave to him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, obviously, we're not going to make it through all those verses this morning, but we are going to hopefully get through to about verse 10 or verse 8, sorry. So when we look at this opening salvo that he gives here, okay, There's a lot in this first chapter, and I don't know, I'm not a uh, grammatician, okay, by any means, a grammaticist, grammatically inclined, okay, but Paul just seems to use a lot of semicolons, colons, and a lot of run-on sentences, okay? Um, I feel like if this was graded today, Paul would get an F in, you know, succinct closing of a sentence, okay? So it is hard sometimes when you're reading it because it's just like, end the this, end the that, end the this, end the that." and it just keeps going on and on. But I want you to notice there are a few things in here that are pretty f- kind of weird to point out. How many times do you see that we are constantly reoriented back to the praise of God in all of this yeah. It's like everything that was done was for His praise. It's almost like you could draw this point out that every choice, every action, the all things, everything that he goes to pointing out, he says, was to the praise of his glorious grace. It's almost like God was doing these things on purpose to get himself glory. It's almost like we have a purpose in bringing God glory. The beautiful thing that we see about... These sections of Scripture, again, when you're talking about them, we have to keep in mind, what was the context that he was pointing out? He's writing to a bunch of Gentiles. He's writing to the Jews that are in the church, too, but he's primarily focusing on the Gentiles. He's addressing them because, deep down, they've got these issues of feeling like they're not a part of this bigger, greater, unified thing, okay? You can also get pictures like you see in the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews. You can get these pictures too where there's this jealousy and almost a separation. There's the Gentile church and then there's the Jewish church. There's the Gentile church that sometimes looks at the Jews and the consequences of the jewish nation and their unbelief and the judgment that was wrought on them and they'll get a little bit of a jealousy and a little bit of a haughtiness where the gentiles will say yeah and look at us we are the gentiles who've never done that we've always believed well because at that time they had they came in they believed they were the gentile church that's who made it up and they would actually look back at the jewish church and say oh well you know we're that people grafted into this wild olive branch grafted in you know we're the ones who were here now y'all got broken off because of your unbelief you're out of here and Paul has to admonish them and tell them hey just be careful that you don't get too lifted up in your own current situation because just as those were broken off you can be broken off too so you can already see that there's a there's kind of this division that's brewing underneath and maybe it's not just that the gentiles feel left out but rather the gentiles feel that they are some kind of superior manifestation of the church okay and the jews would be that manifestation of the church that's always been here who's always done things right and they are the only way that you can possibly be the church because it's got to be jewish if it's anything so you see these divisions that kind of come up what paul is trying to encourage the gentiles here in this church he says guys This is much bigger than Jew and Gentile. This gets to a point of existence that our finite minds don't even have the ability to comprehend. We cannot comprehend outside of ourselves, outside of our own creation, outside of our own existence in a finite universe that is bound in time. I mean, how many of y'all have ever watched like a Star Trek or something where they really get off on some of these kind of time parallel dimension stuff and you're just sitting there going like, I don't even, how could that even be possible, okay? When we think about things that are outside of kind of our paradigm, it's really hard for us to grasp. I mean, this is down to even the, the smallest levels, okay? It's hard for us to understand. I mean, this is, you know men are for Mars and women are for Venus, right? I mean, that's what, it's hard for us to understand even the opposite sex, right? Isn't that the whole thing that men are men and women are women? You can't understand the workings of a woman's mind, nor can you understand the workings of a men's mind, okay? Um, we had a funny dis, uh, debate about this. Not a debate, just really a funny banter, but, you know, there's the movie Mulan, which we go on cycles, especially thanks to Disney Plus, you know, all these Disney movies on repeat over and over again. We are now on to Incredibles 2, and we've watched it about five times in the last you know, 36 hours. So, um, Before that, it was Mulan, and then there was Mulan 2, but there's a song in there that it talks about uh, men, and it addresses men, and it talks about how they're mysterious, and my wife uh, remarked that that is probably the greatest oxymoron that there ever could possibly be. Um, men are pretty face value, and you know what they're thinking pretty easily, and I would have to say that's probably true in most cases, okay? Um, but that's where we get this kind of mindset of even the smallest delineations, male, female, we're both humans, and in fact, many of us coexist together in one unity, and we still can't figure out sometimes the, the inner workings of a woman or a man, okay? Okay. That's just of our own species, let alone trying to figure out how, you know, crabs do their thing or how sharks migrate or whatever it may be. These other things that we don't understand, that's still just in creation and in Time and in our own existence, with all of our tools and everything that we have, and our knowledge and our power, we still don't know all the depths and the intricacies of everything. We're still trying to figure them out if dark matter is a thing and what it does, and, and then what it doesn't do, and can you even create something that doesn't seem to be there? And there's all of these things and layers and layers of our created physical universe that we do not understand now try to take yourself out of space and time in our creation and understand the mind of god it's impossible it's not just impossible because we haven't worked up the formula yet or meditated under the bodhi tree long enough it's not possible because it's not possible okay It's like a fork trying to devise the secrets of a quantum computer, okay? It's not going to work. You can't get there, all right? It's physically impossible. A fork can't even figure out how to be a spoon unless you get that weird spork thing going, and then who knows. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's just impossible for us to understand it, and yet it is. And so Paul is using this great extra awesome, you know, outside of our complete understanding concept to point the fact that there are things at work that are bigger than this Jewish-Gentile divide that you are so hung up on. There is a greater purpose that has been going on since going on ever existed. This greater purpose. Purpose in us that God has been involved in before we were ever we or us. That's, if you ever watch one of those videos like on YouTube or on the Science Channel or whatever. And they do that thing where you're like you on your dot on your map in Alabama and then they zoom out and you can see the United States and then they zoom out and you can see the Western Hemisphere and then they zoom out and you can see the earth and they zoom out a little bit farther and they keep zooming and zooming and zooming and zooming and going out and all of a sudden you just see your little world view reduced down to a speck of nothing in a bunch of dots. That's kind of what Paul does here with the Jews and the Gentiles in this church in the purposes of what they're here for, in their existence, how they came to be here, why they're here, he has zoomed out to infinity. He zoomed out into eternality where it's not that time just continues to go on, it's that time never existed. There was not a God did this when, it was just God has always been this. He uses phrases like, before the foundation of the world, God did. But that's for us, not God. It's not God, was not, God was not like in August and was like, okay, we're going to create things around December. But before we get there in December, let's get some things knocked out. That's not how this worked. It was just God. No time, no frame, no reference, no thing to say that he wasn't thinking about us 10 billion eons ago. But now at 9 billion eons, he's thought about us and then we're going to, that's just always been there. Think about that for a second. Contemplate that. I hope we blow everybody's minds this morning and we go away from here like mush going, how in the world can I fit into all this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in Christ in heavenly places. Starting off with that phrase, he's echoing out, like I said, the opening salvo. He is blowing the doors off the idea that had run up to this time that Jews were the only people who were chosen and blessed of God. Okay? Jews were the only ones, and if you were going to receive the blessings of God, i.e., the blessings of Abraham, you had to get on the Jewish train because. That's where blessings were that's the only way you could get it remember if you wanted to be a part of it you had to be circumcised you had to come into the fold you had to fight if you wanted to be a part of the blessings of the promises that were promised in Abraham you had to join in Gentiles could come in but you had to do the things that were required of the Jews and nobody outside of the Jews were recipients of the blessings that the Jews were given okay I mean that's all that's that's multiple books of the Old Testament. It's you. I chose you. You are the ones. I'm going to bless you. I'll dwell with you. I'll live with you. That's the theme of the Old Testament, a people chosen out that God was going to dwell with and be with. And if you wanted to be a part of that fold, you could, but you had to do the things that God required of all of them. Now, like we said in the book of Galatians, Paul has already addressed with the Gentiles. He said, guys, you are a part of those blessings of Abraham through faith not through judaism but through faith and that's the new revelation that we have for you is that it's faith that is actually the thing that's tied all of this together and it's not your circumcision or your kosher meals but here he says i want everyone to understand jews and gentiles this morning as i'm writing this is read to the church at galatia all people that are chosen in christ Are recipients of all the spiritual blessings that come with being in Christ and what is neat is that he doesn't just speak of them like there's something in a fruit basket he speaks of them as a person Christ He says, it's in Christ that you are blessed, and Christ is the one that's sitting in the heavenly places as the sovereign Lord of all who is the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. That's the one, that's who, that is your source of all spiritual blessings. He he identifies Christ as being the sole source and Christ alone because that is how the Gentiles came in. That is how the Jewish believers came in. It wasn't your circumcision, it was Christ on the cross. It's Christ. He points them both back to Christ to say, guys, this is where your spiritual blessings are, and all of them are in Christ. And guess what? You have all been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, who's not in a grave but on a throne, who's not on the earth as a prophet but on a throne in heaven as a king, who is part of this grand plan that god came up with to bring all things together in him that he would have rule and dominion over all things and it's all wrapped up in christ so bless us with every spiritual blessing there is not a blessing that is withheld from us we get them all in christ And every spiritual blessing you can think of. And that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that we kind of struggle with. You know, what are spiritual blessings? What is he addressing? What is he talking about? What is he trying to get us to understand about all spiritual blessings? It's one of those phrases that is good and it's kind of out there, but you really kind of go, yeah, but what does that mean? What does that mean for me? I identified a few, at least what it means to me. Spiritual life spiritual peace, spiritual happiness, spiritual fulfillment, spiritual purpose, spiritual direction. If you think about like as a people, as a nation, as humanity, you know, we all have this kind of deeply spiritual, we're we're affected by the spiritual, okay, Um, across the board, all of humanity affected by the spiritual. It's just different people go at it a lot of different ways. I mean, you go all the way back to cave drawings and you've got humanity reflecting spiritual things within them, okay? You have the quest of a lot of people today, whether it's in Buddhism or Hinduism or Sikhism or whether it's on to political things like communism, socialism, dematocratism, republicanism, whatever it is, those kind of isms are all people trying to find and scratch this kind of spiritual itch that's going on. Now, some people will kind of argue that like the social constructs and the political things, that's not really the same thing, but it is. I mean, all you got to see is see the vitriolic reaction that people will have over something like communism, and you understand it's affecting them on a spiritual level, okay? They have rooted it as a religion, all right? It is something that they're trying to use as something to scratch this deep itch of purpose, being, and everything. They think that Life will cease to exist if the other point wins out. I mean, that's just, that's a, that's a deep-rooted spiritual thing. It is a spiritual battle. That's where that comes from. There is a longing for peace and order and a construct for our existence that gives us purpose, gives us satisfaction, gives us fulfillment, tells us how we're supposed to act. I mean, all that's kind of the longing that is within humanity, okay? So we're all looking for that spiritual satisfaction. It's just like, and I, okay, so I never knew that this was the name of the guy who wrote this song. I thought it was like some kind of Hank Williams Jr. song. But Johnny Lee wrote the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Okay, did y'all know who Johnny Lee was? Maybe y'all did. Maybe y'all had Johnny Lee on your playlist, whatever that was back then. If it was like a mixtape or a track or whatever it was that you were listening to back then. But um, Johnny Lee, who wrote the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. That's kind of... The theme song for humanity, okay? Looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places, looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places, finding it in all these things. That's why people are constantly on these spiritual journeys, and they're trying to find fulfillment, whether that is in Buddhism or Hinduism or or political aspects or whatever it is or maybe it's atheism maybe that's the thing we're just not going to have any theisms we're just going to be completely devoid or we're going to be in mindfulness or we're going to do wh- whatever yoga or pilates or you know whole 30 I don't know what it is that gets your heart just in good spots but that's what humanity is longing after What Paul is trying to focus the Gentiles and the Jews of this church at Ephesus on was your only source of spiritual blessings is in Christ. All your fulfillment, all your happiness, all your joy, all your peace, all your life, everything that makes you who you are is only in Christ. And he's using that as a means of kind of directing them away from what the Galatian church was getting into as far as putting your source of happiness, joy, fulfillment, spiritual success into the religious traditional things. Okay. But also more to kind of reorient them and be like, guys, you've already got it. You got all that. You got it in Christ. And he's not missing an action, and he's not, you know, too far away where he can't be. Fa- he's he's seated. At the throne, he's ruling and reigning, he's sovereign, he's in, and it's all in him. And then God gave us all of that in him by God being who God is. By God being awesome and loving and compassionate towards us. By God choosing us and giving us all this in Christ. And that's what he goes on to say. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world... And a lot of times we want to stop there and highlight the fact of how crazy and amazing it is that it was before the foundation of the world. And it is true. That's, that is, I mean, again, you get, the, you get kind of the purpose of why has he chosen us? Why would he choose us? Why would he choose you? Why would he choose me? What would be his purposes for that? And sometimes we get really kind of bogged down in figuring out, and that's a, that's a question that people ask. Why? Why would God choose me? Why would God use me? How could God use me or choose me? All these questions, again, kind of, they kind of harken back to the struggle with that whole spiritual reality that he was saying, you've already got wrapped up in Christ. What is my purpose? Why would God choose me? I don't have a purpose. What is my life? What am I supposed to be doing? Why would God use me? I don't seem to be doing anything. I'm aimless. I'm wandering. Maybe I've fallen off the track. Why would God ever choose me considering my past, my future, where I'm at right now? Well, we do understand that in principle, God has shown us in his word that he's always a choosing God. Okay, He's always been a choosing God. This isn't new. It's not like out of the blue. He was like, you know what, I hadn't acted this way before, but you know what, I guess I'll just choose a bunch of people now because that's how I just want to ask. That's not God. God does not audible, okay? He chose two people to start this whole thing. He didn't choose a thousand. He chose just two. He chose Noah and his family, let the rest of the world perish in the flood. Chose Abraham, chose Isaac, chose Jacob, chose Israel, chose Rahab the harlot, Chose David, the psalmist. Chose his only son, Jesus. Chose his apostles. God chose all these people and many, many more throughout all of history. He's always shown us that he's been a choosy God. Okay, That's just his nature. That's what he's done. He's not really given us any other thing to work off of. So the fact that he chose, as he's describing here, a people... Of Jews and Gentiles, you know, if the Jews wanted to say, "Well, why would God choose Gentiles?" and if the Gentiles wanted to say, "Well, why did He choose us and not the Jews I mean, all of these questions can be answered. At, well, this is just what God does. God chooses. He's sovereign. That's His ability. That's His His reasoning behind it. His mathematics behind it. I can't give you all. I can tell you is that the example that He gives us in His Scripture is that He is a choosy God. And the amazing thing is that before we read about any of this, before we read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and before we read about Noah, and before we read about Adam and Eve, and before we read Genesis 1 and 2, what Paul points out by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that this choice, again, was not an audible in reaction To what happens in Genesis 1 and 2. It doesn't come up in Genesis 3 and God say, Wow, that took me off guard. I didn't see that one coming. How are we going to get out of this? Where's the parachute? Where's the emergency brake? We got to figure this out. So, team huddle with the Trinity and let's figure out how we're going to save some of these people because they're all going to die and go to hell. That's not what happened. Paul wasn't there, though, so it'd be really hard for him given an eyewitness account, okay? But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is revealed to Paul, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. And the neat and interesting thing about that is because that predates everybody. It predates Adam and Eve. You can't even tie lineage back to them and say, oh, well, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Adam, and that's why I'm in it. No, because this predates Adam and Eve. Most certainly predates Abraham. So that whole Genesis 12 thing, we're even way before that. So now Jew and Gentile has just completely evaporated. Because Adam and Eve, Eve were never, were neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay? He says even before that, before you ever had any kind of anything, before there was even, you, you can't even say before existence or that God existed before time because existence implies that there was non-existence, okay? There's just I am. That's what he gives us in his scripture. He doesn't give us existence or non-existence before time, in time, during time, after time. He just is there in his infinite, multi-dimensional, whatever he is. No beginning or end, no time before, no time after, yet before our beginning began. God had you and I on his infinite, eternal, without understanding mind. That's what Paul is trying to convey to this church and what we need to understand as his believing people that we need to kind of marinate on that thought for a second. Because if you think you're worthless, or if you think you don't have a purpose, or if you think no one cares about you, and no one thinks about you, and nobody really wants you, then we need to remember the fact, that the eternal fact, that God chose you, before you were ever you. So, before you ever got to this point where you realized how bad of a person you are and how no one could possibly want me, and that's why nobody cares about me or thinks about me, you can just strike all that because God has been thinking and caring about you before and beyond time ever came to be. So, I mean, even in our history, if there was someone that we could say, was writing a book about you 6,000 years ago. I mean, that'd be pretty remarkable, right? Say, hey, look, I can scroll back, and here it is, 6,000 years ago. Somebody was writing about me. They were thinking about me 6,000 years ago. They were making plans for me, my life, and everything was set up, my trust fund, whatever it is, which, by the way, 6,000 years of compounded interest. Man, now let's talk about that, all right? So we got my financial planner sister-in-law really could we could do a lot with 6,000 years of compounded interest but 6,000 years someone was making a plan for you 6,000 years someone had been thinking about you writing about you didn't know you intimately you didn't really know them I mean 6,000 years of family lineage is a long family tree to run through 6,000 years ago someone was writing a book about you you would look back and go wow that's pretty remarkable right That makes me feel like someone has really had a vested interest in me. Someone has really been caring about me, thinking about me, carrying on things for me, going on since 6,000 years. That's kind of what I want us to think about this morning. Because especially in all of the chaos and the craziness and the, uh, you know, deprecating remarks that go back and forth all day, every day on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TV, whatever it may be. All the things that go on in high school and middle school and all these things. All these things that point us to a life that nobody really ultimately cares about you. Remember that our eternal Father has been caring about us way before us ever began. That's what he was trying to get out with the Galatian church saying guys rewind get get the get the 30,000 foot view here and look down on this this is not something that just came up with Abraham this is not something that just came up at 33 AD with Christ this is not something that just came up in the last 30 years of the church at this point this is not something that began at Jerusalem and now at Ephesus this is not this goes way 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 beyond that Before these things ever were, and even when these things are gone, this fact will still remain. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth when he said, there are three things that abide, faith, hope, and love. And he said, but the greatest of these is love. And the reason is because the other two are going to ultimately go away at some point. Faith and hope will disapparate when you are in the presence of, Of God. But you know what won't leave us is that same love that's been going on since before all this ever began. Before faith was ever needed, before hope was ever thought about, there was the love of God who loved us and chose us and had a purpose in us before any of us were ever even thought about in this world. So this is hugely relevant for us because, you know, we... As believing Christians claim to be pro-life people, okay? And we try to hit, especially when we talk about this, when we were going through the book of Matthew, you know, we wanted to hit, you know, we we mean so much more by pro-life than just anti-abortion and pro-being born. Like, we mean the whole spectrum. Like, everybody's life is meaningful and you were kind of made in the image of god and that's why god you know even said way back in genesis that it was kind of a capital punishment to kill somebody because you were killing an image bearer so we have this idea that life is pretty precious reinforcing that is the thoughts about this gentile life is no longer less worthy than jewish life samaritan life Is not equivalent to a dog black white Asian whatever it may be pro-life as we claim it is this pro image-bearing pro the idea that God thought about us and cared about us enough before the world ever was created that's got to mean that he's got some kind of vested interest in us right I mean, to think about us that intimately and intentionally before you ever started thinking about how you were going to make this whole, you know, cosmic thing spin around and molecules hang together and dark matter, which we still can't figure out, you know, before he thought about all these very intricate details to our existence, he was thinking intimately and in love with you and me. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That's why we value life. That's why it's so disturbing when you, you know, scroll through Facebook and everybody's just really casually, you know, all about if someone trespasses on my lawn or breaks my window, I'm going to shoot them. It's kind of, I don't know, there's just something a little bit off about that, that we just have such a lack of care about human life that we're just flippantly on Facebook neighborhood pages talking about how we'll be okay just shooting people all the time, like it's just an okay thing, all right? That should really grate on us who believe in kind of a pro-life stance that people's lives are so valueless that they can be shot for trespassing and nobody care. And it just be like it's just a thing. Not when God has potentially loved that person before the world ever was created. We should have a deeper desire and longing for life than that. Not when that is an image-bearer. We should have a deeper desire and longing for that. And this goes across and around the world. This is why I express so often the incompatibility of desiring to carpet-bomb whole populations in the Middle East so flippantly. Like it's just, well, that's where they are and they deserve it. Well, That's not very pro-life. It's definitely not pro-image bearing, and this definitely should really kind of catch us on a theological aspect if we truly believe that God loved and chose a people there before the world ever began, because obviously God cares about them a whole lot. So we get the picture of what Paul is trying to express to the church here. The Jews very much had an idea, especially particularly looking at the Samaritans, hey, it's a Samaritan. They're nothing but a dog, and that's kind of the mentality that got the nazis on the whole jewish thing okay you're less than human it's kind of what got us on the whole african-american thing was you're not really human you're only actually like i think two-thirds of human so you know this whole mentality of devaluing human life is where paul is stepping in going jews and gentiles guess what guys y'all are part of god's mind before the world ever began and that should really drive home to us how much god loves us and cares about us and desires to see good in us and is watching over us and is providing for us i mean he's already said it when he's talking about the ravens and how yeah i've got birds you know all over the place and i provide for them but don't you think i care about you a little bit more than a bunch of birds yet i still provide for them don't you think i'm going to take care of you So then we get into the question of why he would do this. Why would he predestinate us? Having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, again, we get this recurring theme of Christ being the central figure in all this, adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted into beloved. The whole idea of why he chose us, you you get two answers here. One is because it made him happy to do so. And two, because it's for his praise of his glorious grace. Both of them give us a why and a purpose. The verse previously that I said, you know, we like to kind of stop at that and not grab the rest but it also gives us a purpose because he chose us before the world began he chose us according to his glorious grace to be holy and blameless before him he chose us because it made him happy to do so he chose us because we are to be the examples of his glorious grace we are to be the instruments of praise for his glorious grace we are the things that before all this began and before everything fell apart in genesis 2 and 3 and 4 and all this everything that we see there all of this that happened before all that came into being god had already purposed in us because it made him happy to do so that we would be chosen that we would be adopted sons and daughters and that we would ultimately be to the praise of his glorious grace so again when you're talking about the spiritual questions of why am i here what is my purpose how can i be spiritually fulfilled or have a spiritual direction in my life well you start with your origin and your origin is that god's really been caring and loving and thinking about you for a very long time He's been thinking about you and caring about you and desiring things for you and doing things for you and accomplishing things for you for a very long time. Greater than 6,000 years. In fact, greater than time itself. Greater than existence. Greater in whatever cosmic dimension he dwells in. Spiritual satisfaction, I don't think, can get any deeper than that. How much further back can you go? You can't. Like, how, how much can you pull back? What greater thing is there to rely on, to rest in, to find your desire in? There's not anything greater than that. We've gone beyond existence. So most certainly nothing in existence is going to make us feel spiritually fulfilled. So we have a purpose. We have a reason why are we here? What are we here to do? Now that he has saved us and changed us and done all these things by his radical grace, what's the reason for us? Is it just to exist? Is it just to absorb it all and enjoy it? He says the reason is that you are to be to the praise of his glorious grace. Our entire lives that we live are to be to the praise of his glorious grace. That radical grace that has changed us, that radical grace that loved us from before the world, that radical grace that has moved in our lives, that continues to move in our lives, all of those things lining up are the reason we are to be to his praise. Other areas we'll talk about how we are to do good works for his praise. We are to love everyone for his praise. We are to love the people of the church for His praise. We are to do all these things through love for His praise. That's our purpose. We have love from Him. We give love because of Him. We have a Father that has always and will always be thinking and loving us no matter how broken up and busted up we may be or how far we get off track. He's still there with us as He's ever been. His thoughts are for us. His plans are for us. The things he had purposed in us from before the world began are still in effect and he will see them come to pass. You know, Jesus gives us that beautiful picture of the shepherd going after that one on the hill that's left. He will rescue us. He will save us. He'll deliver us. So we need to rest in that wonderful thought that God loves us. And that's not just a short time span, small, touchy-feely thing that is a been-around-before-any-of-this-ever-existed. An eternal, beyond-comprehension, outside-of-time, in-the-mind-of-God kind of love. That is way beyond anything that this world could ever offer us. It's way beyond the most loving husband and wife who've been together for 175 years And he loves you as you. He didn't love you as the great, wonderful, awesome you. He actually loved us, chose us, died for us, saved us from a very, very bad version of us. And he's not waiting for you to get to a better version of you before he starts lavishing his love on you. He says, no, I loved you way back knowing exactly who you were going to be and exactly who I was going to make you be, exactly the changes I was going to affect in you. I adopted you as my son or daughter, you as you, which means I know all the stuff you have done, and I know all the stuff that you don't even know you're going to do. All the trip-ups, all the mess-ups, all the mistakes, all the problems, all the things that you're going to do, I know all of those too, and you know what? I still adopted you, and I chose you, and I died for you, and I died for all those other things that are going to happen in the future too. So understand that my love is not going away or changing. I'm not letting go of you. I'm not walking away. I'm not turning my back and never going to talk to you again. I'm still your father. I still love you just as I have always loved you, will always continue to love you because I have loved you outside of this time frame thing. So may God bless us to really reflect on that and again, kind of get the big picture with all of this. We're talking about the church at Ephesus, but this is us. This is us in the church today. This is us as individuals today in our communities and with our families. This is us. Not the television show. This is us, okay? Ephesians, this is us, all right? Being a chosen people of God from before the foundation of the world, this is us. So may God bless us to live in that to the praise of his glorious grace.